Yeah, man, as you heard this morning, we are in the middle of a very fun series. It's really what our summer blockbuster series called At The Movies. And is it the series where we're going to be looking at trailers like you did today? Last week was, um, anybody remember? Captain Marvel, right? Captain Marvel last week. Marvel fans, we got that in last week. And so we had that fun. We had fun with that one last week. And uh, today we're going into uh, this movie called Gemini Man. It's a Will Smith movie. Has you seen any Will Smith fans here? Right? If you're a Will Smith fan, this is one for you. Right? You got Will Smith playing two characters in this film and, uh, and uh, on, on the scene at the same time. Right? You got the 23-year-old uh, Will Smith, like Danny mentioned, looking like he just came off the set of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Right? And then you have the current 50-year-old Will Smith um, playing. And so if you're a Will Smith fan, if you like his acting, this is one for you because you get to see him twice in the same scene. So uh, in this movie, as you saw, Will Smith plays this character. He's a, a really top-notch, rare assassin, right? I um, mean, he's nearing the end of his time. It looks like he's, he's about to uh, retire. And the government ain't having that, right? They don't want to lose one of their best. And so what it appears like, it appears like they cloned him or they, they uh, copied a younger version of Will Smith. And Will Smith and his character, both characters, they don't discover this until, until they, 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 they see that they're meeting off against one another, right? And Will Smith, the older Will Smith, uh, notices that he's being sought after by this mysterious younger character who seems to know all, his seems to know his next moves, who knows, you know, the things that he's going to do before he does it. He, he, he has his strengths, he knows his weaknesses, and, and, and it's just this battle, and they're realizing, man, why can't I defeat this guy, Right? Why can't I get him? Why can't I, you know, I'm used to being this, you know, assassin that no one can, you know, can, can, can play with, no one can mess with, no one can take me. But now all of a sudden, Will Smith realizes, man, this guy, he, he's, he's tracking with me. And so he's like baffled as to why he cannot seem to defeat this opponent. And it's not until later on he realizes, they both realize that, man, the guy that they've been facing off really is themselves. A younger version, an older version of himself. And you can say that they're each other's worst enemies. Or we can say that they're their own worst enemies. Right? And that's what I want us to pull from this movie today, from this trailer. That thing of us being our own worst enemy. Reality is all around us, there's distractions, right? There's, there's voices telling us what you should do, who you should be with, what you should like, what you should dislike, the direction in life you should go. All around us, there's oppositions that's telling you, man, stay down, I'm going to knock you down, I'm going to keep you down, slow down, don't go there, I, I, don't do that. There's a war all around us, outside of us, right? That's the reality that we all understand, we all get. But I want to suggest something here today, and I think scripture speaks to this as well, that our biggest threat is not outside of ourselves. The toughest battles that you and I fate and engage in are not with the person outside of ourselves. But our biggest threat and our toughest battles are within ourselves. Let me say that again. Our biggest threat and our toughest battles are within ourselves. It's deep stuff that scripture is going to this, uh, get into today as we look and unpack this that I believe has eternal impact. Today's word is going to be deep, brothers and sisters, friends. It's going to be deep, but I believe that God has this word for us today. And so I want to pray, as Daniel just said, I want to quickly pray that God would uh, just use this time for us so that we can get to know him and ourselves. So let's pray together once more. Father, I thank you, God, for this time that we get to go into your word now in a moment, Father. 
Lord, I pray as I continue to speak and share from your word, Lord, that you would move myself, God, from this, Lord, that you would be glorified, God, that you would speak and move in this place, God, that it is only for your glory, God, only for you, that we live to worship, Father. So we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start off with this quote. It's in your bulletin. It's also going to be on the screen, hopefully, in a second. It's this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. To help us unpack this, we're going to look into uh, the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is Paul here speaking. And we're going to look in Romans 7. And we're going to kind of go back a little bit and move forward as we get to Romans 7. It's a deep, uh, deep, deep book, uh, rich in theology. And so we're going to look at Romans 7. Those of you who uh, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start taking that out. Open it up to Romans 7. It's also in your bulletins if you have one with you. We'd love to keep you kind of in, uh, just in the flow of what the, what's going on, what we're sharing, what we're talking about. So in your notes, you'll see the scriptures that we'll be talking about, that we'll be mentioning today. But I'll get to that in a second. Before I do that, let me just remind us, man, as we go into God's word, the entirety of scripture is rich. Right? It is glorious, with, with, full of glorious truths about who God is and about his creation. Truths that only by God's grace can we begin to understand and see that God has a redemptive plan to save you and I. And so I want us to spend the rest of this afternoon looking into scripture. It's going to be a lot, but I want us to be in tune with what scripture is telling us. Some of what you hear probably is not going to sit well with you. You're probably going to shake your head. It's probably going to take you some time to, to grasp or to wrestle with. And that, brothers, sisters, friends, is okay. So I want you to know that as we go into God's word, it's okay to struggle with it. It's going to be okay to wrestle with it. We're family. We're friends. We're going to do this together. Amen. So I want us to unpack together what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is talking about and teaching us in the book of Romans. So go ahead and open up to Romans 7 again. We're going to look through verses 14 through 25. All right, that's Romans 7, verses 14 to 25. You might be confused at first, but let's go through it. I'm going to read it for us nice and slow. We're reading from the uh, CSB version, Christian Standard Bible version. Um, so it's in your notes as well if you want to follow along that way. So Romans 7, chapter 14, chapter 7, verse 14 kicks off this way. It's Paul speaking. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, I do what I do not want to do. I agree with the law, that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, how many of you are I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. With my flesh, the law of sin. 
It's a lot there. How many of you are confused? Be honest. A little bit confused, right? Too much. I do, I do, I do not want to do it. Uh, what's going on here? And that's fine, right? Because Paul is confused himself, it seems like, right? Paul is going through this, this dilemma. He's puzzled about, man, who, what, what's going on here in my life? And so Paul's a little bit puzzled himself. And so, you know, it, it's okay if you're confused. Paul is definitely near at war with himself. All right, we read over and over again. Paul saying, I do what I want to, I do not do what I want to do. The things I hate, I'm doing, right? And so he's going back and forth with this dilemma, this war within himself. Scholars here go into this debate whether Paul here is talking about Christian Paul, like after knowing Christ, or is this pre-Christian Paul? Is this Paul before he met Christ? All right, and I don't want us to debate that today. Now, I kind of lean towards the, 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 the camp that says this is Paul uh, as, a, as a believer of Christ. Right, I don't want to get hung up, though, in that. Regardless of the stance that we're going to take today, the main point of this text still stands true. Now, the, the main idea of the entire book of Romans can be summed up this way. All human beings, all sinful human beings, have fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we bring this honor to God and are under the wrath of God righteously. Meaning that it is right for God to place his wrath over us. It is just of God for him to pour out his wrath on all sinners. Yet, it is possible for sinners under the wrath of God to be set right before God. Why? Because of Jesus by faith alone. It is placing your faith in Jesus alone that we are saved from the wrath of God. That pretty much sums up the whole book of Romans. And so when we get to Romans 7, though, Paul is tackling again this dilemma that we all seem to face. Right? First of all, we are all sinners. We're all born in opposition to God and the things of God. Now, some of us might struggle with that one because you know what I did for a long time? I struggled with that one for a long time. I'll get into that a little bit. Right? That we are born in opposition to God right? and the things of God, that I hate the things of God, that that's what the state I'm born in. Well, Romans 3, 9, 11 says this, man. If we're all sinners, Romans 3 says what then? Are Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none are righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. How many of you sitting here right now think that's cool? Right? Like, no one seeks for God. I struggled with that for a while, guys. I struggled with that for a while. Paul goes on in the same chapter, and he goes on and he reminds us that because we're all sinners and none of us seek God, we are all also under the, uh, uh, we'll be held accountable by God. And you can read that in chapter 3, verse 19. And so the question that Paul wrestles, what is it we do? If we're sinners born in opposition to the things of God, how do we become right with God? And he answers that later on in verse 20 of Romans 3. He says, for by the works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, we have the law that's given to us by God to what? To know the character of God and our inability to live up to that law. You see, what Paul is saying that the law of God, the commandments of God were given to you, not so that you follow it to the T. That, brothers and sisters, is impossible. That's impossible, though. You might see many people through legalism just kind of put on this face, this image, as if they are following God's law perfectly, but they can never, no man, can ever fulfill the demands of God completely. 
The law actually prescribes a way of life that we in our flesh cannot follow. And so Paul is now in this dilemma. He's in Christ. In Romans 7, he's, just, he's facing this now. What the Lord did for us is it reveals that he's a sinner. What it did for Paul, what it does for you, it reveals that you are a sinner. That your shortcomings, that your need for a Savior is real. And that you cannot become your own Savior. That you are not your own Savior. That no mere man can be your Savior. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. And he goes on, he shares how Jesus Christ, through Christ, we are redeemed. And that through Christ, God presented him an atoning sacrifice. This is verse 25, in Christ Jesus. So that received by faith, we are made right with God. It's Jesus. It's by placing your faith in Jesus alone that you are saved. And so Paul, like I said, guys, it's deep, and he's given us all this deep theology just in the first half of the book of Romans. And then we get to chapter 7, 5, verse 14, where Paul says this, For we know, we all know that the law is spiritual, meaning that the law is from God. It lays out the way we should live our lives. But then Paul finishes off that sentence with that knowledge. He says, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. Some of y'all need to be woken up. He says, I am a flesh. Pinch your name and say, you are flesh. No one's pinching. You are flesh. You are your worst enemy. And as the quote we opened up with, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. So let's unpack that a little bit in our text. And so the first point in your notes is this. Simply recognize that you are your own worst enemy. Recognize you are your own worst enemy. In my Bible... In studying this, man, I actually circled from verses 14 to 25 the amount of times Paul uses the word I. And I'm using the CSB version. In this, in, in, through verses 14 to 25, he uses the word I 25 times. 25 times. And so Paul is describing this I problem. This war within himself. This battle within himself. He says, the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. He knows what he wants to do, but he does not do the very things he wants to do, but he continues to do the things he hates. So it's an ongoing battle that Paul is engaged in with himself. You see, Paul understood and understands the law requires, he understands what it requires. And he's at a point in his life, though, now, when he understands that he is a flesh, and therefore he cannot live up to the requirements of the law. And that's actually one of the reasons why I believe that Paul is speaking here as a believer. You know the story of Paul before becoming a follower of Christ. Paul was a devoted Jew, right? He lived devoted to all the law and tried to keep the law as, as much as he can. He lived a life attempting to be justified by the works of the law. And he, he did it well. He did it hard, right? He was, he was at it, Paul. We know that he was devoted to this stuff. But then he recognizes that he's of the flesh and that he's a slave to, 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 to sin. I want to challenge us with that. Revelation that we are sinners and not capable of being our own Savior is a revelation that comes from knowing God first. John Calvin said it this way, everything in our Christian life begins with knowing who God is and in turn knowing who you are. Until you know who God is, you will never know who you are. And so to recognize that you and I, to recognize that we are our own worst enemy first, we need to recognize who God is. And there is where some of us struggle. We struggle with this idea that we're our own worst enemies, that I'm born in opposition to God because we don't have this complete picture of who God is. 
Because we don't have a complete picture of who God is. We don't have a real honest opinion and picture of who we truly are. That we are sinners. That we are in opposition of God. And some of you might hear that and it kind of like makes you feel uneasy. And you get a little bit, you know, you shake your head. It's a little bit extreme. And, and again, I did. I knew that before coming to Christian, um, I could understand that. See, I was a basically good kid, I would say, right? Basically good kid. Went to school. Was an honor student. Was a captain of my baseball team. You know, I had brothers and we were good brothers to each other. I was a good son. Um, so I like, lived a basically good life. But it wasn't, it, it wasn't until I uh, understood and I began to hear and began to read in the Bible, began to learn from, 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 from preach, preachers who are honest that, that who I truly am is that man, I am truly a sinner deserving of punishment from God. Because I began to understand who God truly was. See, I understood and I knew the parts of Christianity, the parts of the Bible that tells us that God is love. I understood and knew that God is faithful, that God is merciful, that God is forgiving. But what I lacked is my, is my theology, my understanding of God is that he is also perfect, that he's also holy, that he's also a just judge, a just God, right in punishing all who do not live up to his standard of holiness. See, I heard it presented this way. The most terrifying truth about God is that God is good. But some of you say, well, the fact that God is good, that sounds like a, a good thing. Why is that a problem? Why would that be terrifying to me, the fact that God is good? And this is a simple answer. The reason it is terrifying that God is good is because you are not. You and I are not. You see, God is holy, and God is just, and God is a righteous judge, and God can never go against who he is. And so what does a good God, a good judge, a righteous judge do with sinful human beings? What does he do with us sinners? Because he is just and holy and righteous, it means that he must judge us. It means that he will be right in judging us and giving us the punishment that you and I deserve. The Bible says the punishment is death. So it is terrifying news to know that God is a good God. And we are not because we are under his wrath. See, God cannot remain a holy and a good judge if he would just let us all go scot free, right? That would make him a corrupt judge. It would make him unlike himself. And so what do we do? Or what does God do? In his perfect plan, God remains perfectly just, but also perfectly full of love in that he sends his son Jesus, who from who was with God from the beginning of time, through whom all things were created, Jesus leaves his throne in heaven and he lives amongst us and he lives the life that you and I are not capable of living. And he dies the death on the cross that you and I deserve. And on that cross, Jesus bears the full wrath of God for you and I. And now, whoever will place their faith in Christ and trust him alone, are you now saved? That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. That is the gospel. And see, when you understand this gospel, when you understand that God saved you from your sin and that you deserve punishment, then you can begin to realize who you are. Now, Paul, even knowing this, in verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I am doing. Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And then in verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me but there is no ability to do it. See, Paul is recognizing the battle within himself that is keeping him from doing everything that God wants him to do. And he knew that what, what, the things that will please God, but it's this battle within his soul that is keeping him from doing that. And Paul develops this deep hate for his sin. 
In my Bible and in my notes, I underlined and made bold the word desire because I believe it's important note to note that Paul desired to do good. And he had a hatred for sin. Do you desire good? Do you desire to do good, brother? Let me ask you this question. Does that come out of a hatred for your sin first? You see, because I think that is the mark of a changed man, a changed woman, a changed person. It's not just a knowledge that God is loving, that God is forgiven, but there needs to be a deep hatred for your sin, a brokenness over it, and a desire to do good. Paul later on says the same thing in Galatians. He says in Galatians 5.17, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you do not do what you want to do. Do you recognize, brothers and sisters, that you are your own worst enemy? That is your sinful nature that keeps you from all that God has for you. That it is your sinful self that causes you to fall short of the glory of God. Yes, there are temptations all around us, but God provides a way out. We have the eye problem. We have an eye problem. Take comfort in the gospel message that we just heard. And also point number two, press on in the midst of struggle. See, I know that first point was kind of deep and long, right? But I believe, man, we need to, to see the problem first. We need to see the problem first. It's when we see the problem that we can understand and really be in awe of the beauty of the gospel message. So press on in the midst of struggle. Brother and sister here today, Paul is giving us an inside look of himself as a believer. And if you're honest with yourself, you can admit that that is you today. That your biggest threat, your greatest opposition is yourself. But press on. It is great, it is awesome that Paul allows us to have this insight. We can see ourselves in Paul a lot, right? How many of you became a Christian and all your problems went away? Right? How many of us believe, man, that, you know, my good works and my good standings, that's good and that's all, that's all I need to know. But you realize, man, as a Christian, that things do not get better. That is not just where it stops. Right? The gospel, we say it all the time, is not something that we need to get in the beginning of our walk with Christ. But we are, we're constantly reminding ourselves as family that the gospel is something we take with us for eternity, for the rest of our lives. That we need to the gospel, that we need to apply the gospel, we need to live the gospel. We are not graduating from the gospel. See, as Christ follower, I recognize that my good works fall short, but my salvation is secured in Christ alone. There's still a battle. I want us to be encouraged with this. I want us to be encouraged with something that I've come to know in my walk and what I see in Scripture. That your struggles and your shortcomings are no surprise to God. In fact, the tension between our sinful nature and our spiritual life is evidence of our belonging to God and His continuing work in your life. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in your notes. Paul says this, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected, in weakness. See, instead of seeing our weaknesses and placing blame on anyone or God, press on. Instead of falling into sin and giving up your hope, press on. Recognize that you are your worst enemy and wage war. And do so humbly. And recognize that in your weaknesses, His power is perfected. See, He gets the glory. You get to play a part in it. You get to sit in. You get to be used. You get to see your weaknesses show himself powerful, show God powerful. So press on, brothers and sisters, today in the midst of your struggle. In verse 21 and 23 in our text of Romans, Paul hits a critical point in his battle. And I'm going to read it again. It says this, For I discovered this law. When I do what, what is good, evil is present for me, present in me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law. 
But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in parts of my body. See, I, I kind of had to open up the message version. I don't usually do that, but I wanted to kind of get this idea of this. What is he talking about in this more contemporary language? So if you're familiar with the message version of the Bible, it, it's really just uh, summarizes, paraphrases it in our language, the contemporary language. And so this is what it says in the message version of Romans 7, 21, 23. It says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. How many of you feel that way? moment you're at it, you got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up and you pray and you're going to do good. And, and the moment you do that, man, there's this opposition. There's this struggle. There's sin, things that, that you know inside of you should not be feeling or thinking just come up. And Paul goes on and says, I truly divide the light in God's commands. Again, that idea of delighting comes from someone who's been changed by God. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. So what did he do? Verse 24, Paul cries out to God. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? We need to learn to press on. We need to learn, like Paul, to cry out in humility. And this is not crying out with a fist clenched and waving at God, blaming him or why he's done this. But it's a humble brokenness. It's a humility recognizing that you are sinful. I want to ask this question. When was the last time you mourned over your sin? When was the last time, brothers and sisters, that you've been broken over your sin? When was the last time that you've been on your knees for your sin, on your knees for the sins of those in, around you, in your community, in this church family? When was the last time we've been broken? When was the last time we cried out like David in Psalm 51, create a clean heart for me, renew a steadfast spirit within me? When was the last time? Have you done that? If not, why? So many reasons why we can discuss it. I'm not going to do that today. We're getting short on time. But I want us to remind us of this. Regardless of the struggle you're in, in the midst of struggle, we press on because of what the Christian life is a journey. Being made new in Christ starts in a moment of faith, but it takes a lifetime to be like him. Being in Christ, being made new in Christ, starts in a moment of faith. But becoming like him, it takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime. So number three is let's not stop shouting, turning to God, and shouting in victory. Continue, brothers and sisters, to turn to God. Continue to press on. Continue to look to God. Continue to shout in victory each and every opportunity we get. That is why we gather and we sing worship songs and we praise God. I hope and pray that we're not doing that because it's a church thing to do. But that we get to sing and we get to praise God. We get to join in on the angels and worship God in the midst of the battles that we are going through. Because he is worthy of it still. Because he is he's glorious and because we have victory in spite of what we're going through. That, brothers and sisters, needs to be our heart when we gather to worship God. That is what's going to transform the people who walk into this place who do not know the relationship we have with Christ. And if you're here today, I pray and hope that, man, you felt the word, of, the spirit of God move, that the people of God will cry out to worshiping to the Father, not because we got it perfect. You're not hearing a preacher here who has it perfect. No one here does. But what I hope and pray is that you would recognize that God is worthy and God is good in the midst of our struggles. And so continue to turn to God and shout to God in victory. And we can say, like Paul said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because our salvation is secured in him now and forever. 
But hold up. Know that you're still capable of falling prey to sin. That the power of sin is still there. Though we enjoy salvation today, we are yet not yet made complete and perfect. This is why Paul can say confidently in wrapping up today. This is why Paul can confidently say in Romans chapter 8, in light of what we just studied today, he finishes off chapter 7 and goes right into chapter 8 and he says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. We had to start off deep. We had to start off with the bad news because none of us can appreciate the meaning of the victory that we have in Christ if we don't know the nature of the opposition and the kind of struggles that are involved, the enemy within ourselves, our sinful self. And the worship team is going to come up at this point. They're going to lead us in the last song. But I want us to remind us from Romans 8 that those of us, those of us in Christ Jesus are not condemned because Christ himself was condemned. Christ bore our punishment. Do you know that? Do you know that Christ has borne your punishment? Do you know that you're not condemned in Christ because he has been condemned? We'll go further than that. Do you believe this? If so, as the worship team leads us in a song, this is what you're going to do. This is what I invite you to do today as they, as they lead us and wrap this up. Let's pray. Pray that God, you continue to show me who you are. And in the light of that, that you continue to show me who I am. Pray that you would get broken over your sins. Pray that God would lead you to what is called repentance. The Bible tells us to repent, to turn from your sin and run into the arms of your loving Father. As we sing this song today, that his reckless love, that he will leave the 99 to come after you. Because his love is that strong. So I pray that we can spend this time just run into the arms of our God and surrender to Him and His Lordship over your life. So in this last song, you want to sing with us? Great. You just want to spend some time in prayer. Let's do that. Amen.